This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. the Oracle of Fantasy Labs and Rotoviz. Welcome to the September 23rd, 2017 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an editor at Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. Um, I uh, have this new microphone, so I, I hopefully I sound a lot better than I did before. Yes, you. it is the Yeti. We are Yeti brothers. Nice, very nice. I even got like the, the pop filter, and I got new headphones and everything, so hopefully we won't have any audio issues here uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, sounds good, and the uh, rest of the season... Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Only nine more left. That's because That's right. Chicagoland, we just had that magnificent race in which Martin Trex Jr. battled. He battled, I tell you, through the field after an early penalty to win and advance this second stage of the playoffs. Nick, is there anything that we can take away from this Chicagoland race and apply to the rest of the playoffs? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things. First, you know, when, when qualifying happened and practice and all that, the Richard Childress cars looked really, like, looked good in practice. I mean, um, you know, Ryan Newman, he, he qualified in the mid-teens, but he, you know, he his 10-lap average in second practice was really good. In third practice, it wasn't as good, but that's because he went on old tires. So I figured he'd be very good. Austin Dillon qualified ninth practice, better than ninth, and both of them stunk up the joint. So RCR is still back to its old RCR ways during the race, apparently. So I thought, you know, going into Chicagoland, we we're going to see if it, you know, some new teams maybe hit on something new. And I thought there was a chance for sure that, uh, you know, that, that maybe the RCR guys had found something because you know, obviously uh, Newman had gotten a win and Austin Dillon had gotten a win. And maybe they had a chance to tinker around, find something thought they might have. And it turns out they didn't. Uh, Chicagoland, other than that, was was pretty straightforward. It was actually one of the best model results of the year. The R squared for the predicted the model predicted in my article versus the actual result was point seven seven. So. Really solid for the model this past weekend, and uh, that you know that's that's how Chicagoland goes. The the expected was around 0.68. Model did even better than the, the 0.68 that we talked about last week on the on the test data. So 0.77, very good. 
and uh, other than that, I think you know the main thing is the, the dominant cars are still the dominant cars. The Toyota still look pretty strong. Uh, obviously, Truex and, and Kyle Busch looked really strong until he had a loose wheel, and then after the loose wheel, he had to come in and pit for that. And when he came in to pit for the loose wheel, he got another penalty because his crew was over the wall too soon, so he had to come back around and pit. But as far as race speed, he was super fast. So. Uh, I think it's it, not a whole lot has changed. You know, the the Hendrick guys there, they didn't look super fast or anything. Uh, Chase Elliott did, of course, and in Chicagoland, I figured would be a good track for him, and uh, he practiced well and everything like that. But Jimmy Johnson didn't look like you know the the seven time champion that he is. I don't know if he's going to be an eight time contender this year. But uh, those are kind of the key takeaways from Chicagoland. So you said point seven seven. Yeah, point seven seven. It was I tweeted it out. It was easily the the best result of the year. I mean, normally, like I said, when we when we go into these races, all you can do is kind of test on on uh, old data that you've kind of withheld, so you can build a model and then test it on data that's never seen before. But it's still not the real thing. So the real thing is what's important. And Chicagoland was easily the best one of the year. I think the next one after that was like point seven one or seven zero or something like that. Most are around the fives and sixes and. Occasionally you get some really ugly ones if there's a lot of cautions and stuff. Yeah, 0.77, that's impressive, but not as impressive Boom, boom, boom. as a 30% discount that you can get on a special NASCAR. Damn it, I screwed that up. On a special NASCAR pass through the NASCAR podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content for the remaining nine races of the season and your content. I mean, your subscription, obviously, it supports the pod. Okay. Uh, let's talk about New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It is the second race that we've had at New Hampshire for this season. Uh, it's the second race of the playoffs. It is a one-mile, flatly-banked oval. Nick, talk about what we normally see out of racing at New Hampshire. Yeah, New Hampshire is an interesting race because it's only 300 miles. No, most of our races are 400 or 500 miles. Uh, you even get the 600-miler at Charlotte, and then... Obviously, the road courses are, are shorter. So this is basically like the the length of just longer than a road course in terms of the number of miles. But it's one mile track, a little bigger than one mile. It's like 1.016 or some weird number like that. But uh, that said, it's 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 shaped like a a Martinsville that's kind of been squished on the end. So the instead of the turns being a lot tighter, they're still 180 degree turns, but they have a much longer radius, wider radius, I should say, than, uh, um, you know, Martinsville, which has a much tighter radius and obviously longer straightaways because it's a mile to, to Martinsville's just over half mile. So they do race similarly. There is a little bit of variable banking at New Hampshire. So at the bottom of the track is a little flatter than the top of the track. And then they've also added the compound, that resin sticky, whatever compound to the bottom in the, in the third group. So really, Cars will be able to race all the way from the bottom to the kind of the middle of the track. Once you get above that, though, uh, and we already saw this in practice, first practice this week, both Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott got up over that top uh, resin area and lost grip and went into the walls. So two Hendrick cars got into the wall in first practice. Um, but, you know, the racing, that means you can pass. You can you can pass. You can run side by side. Uh, it, it's not a place where you're unlike Martinsville, where you're going to have to like usually nudge somebody out of the way or try to get under them going into the corner. You can occasionally maybe make a pass on the outside. It's a lot harder, but but certainly uh, you can you can definitely make passes at New Hampshire. So that's cool. That's good to see. Uh, the the thing I think happens because of that. New Hampshire traditionally 
Uh, we get very few cautions at the beginning of the race, and then we get a ton at the end. Well, the first race this year was the first race at New Hampshire with stages, and it was the first time they ever raced at New Hampshire with this compound, and we did not see that wildness in the second half of the race. So I'm wondering if that's because of the state, part because of the stages, part because of the compound, or if that was just a fluke thing. And we'll go back to the New Hampshire of old in terms of the number of cautions that we see. So, um, you know, I think it was five of the prior to this past race, five of the seven prior races had, um, I think it was a caution inside the last 15 laps. And I think uh, prior again, prior to the last race, I think the previous four had one inside the last 11 laps. So, uh, usually we get a lot of late cautions at New Hampshire, but I'm not sure if that will change because of the stages and because of the, the compound. That's interesting. Uh, before we move on to talking more about New Hampshire, let's talk specifically about the playoffs. Right now, uh, what are the current standings and what impact will the, standing, the standings have on driver strategy and DFS strategy? Yeah, so the standings are interesting. There's nobody who's like totally out of it after one race, which is good. We don't want to see obviously a non-competitive uh, chase here, but Austin or sorry, playoffs, I'm still going to do that. But uh, Austin Dillon right now is 12th, which of course the the top 12 advanced. So Martin Truex Jr is already advanced because he won as we talked about at the top of the show. And then uh second place right now is Larson. Then uh, Larson's 27 back of Truex, but doesn't really matter because Truex is already qualified. Then you've got Harvick, Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Hamlin, Johnson, Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, Ryan Blaney, Jamie McMurray, and then Austin Dillon in 12th. So Austin Dillon is currently on the inside. However, Kurt Busch is exactly tied with Austin Dillon in points, and it comes down to wherever their finishing positions uh, based. You know, there's a tiebreaker based off of their best finish. And so right now, Austin Dillon holds the tiebreaker over Kurt Busch. Four points behind Kurt Busch and also four points behind Austin Dillon is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And then one more point back of that is Casey Kane. And then two more points back of that is Ryan Newman. So it's super close right there near the bubble. You got Austin Dillon only seven points ahead of last place Ryan Newman. Newman's out. Austin Dillon's in. Jamie McMurray only five points ahead of Austin Dillon in 11th. Ryan Blaney only three points ahead of McMurray. So it's super crammed back there from like – you know, eighth, ninth, tenth on back. Uh, so definitely going to be an interesting, uh, I guess, you know, last two races here. Uh, you know, I think, I think, how does this impact strategy? Um, I think first and foremost, nobody needs to gamble. They're all fine. Like if Newman has a good race, he'll be on the inside going into the next race at Dover. You know, if if one or two people have a bad race in front of them, so there's no need for these guys to gamble right now and just win only. They just need to race their race do the best they can, and then see what happens and, and see where they shake out going into Dover. Then maybe come Dover if you have a bad race or or uh, you know if you're in really good position, you can adjust your, your strategy uh, based off of where you are going into Dover. But right now, I don't think anybody needs to take any unnecessary risks or any unnecessary gambles. So basically, they're all racing to try not to screw up. Exactly. Um, and obviously, they're all trying to race to win as well, because if you win, you're guaranteed to go to the next round. Yeah. Uh, OK, let's continue talking about the playoffs, but let's uh, gear it a little more specifically to the on the daily NASCAR playoff challenge. That is what uh, you've decided to call the contest that we are having for uh, Rotoviz radio listeners and Rotoviz subscribers. So uh, the winner will get a Rotoviz pullover. I've seen uh, I've seen the mock-up of this. It looks pretty sweet. It is gray with red logo, 
And then uh, the winner will also get a lifetime pass to all of Rotoviz. So that's not just NASCAR. That's NASCAR, NFL, uh, NBA, and any other sports that are created in the future. Nick, tell us about the format of the contest and how people can enter. Yeah, so um, it is going to be similar to what we did two years ago when uh, we had our first go-around with Fantasy NASCAR DFS. Uh, it is going to be – it's going to start, like I said, October the, – the race October 8th at Charlotte. Uh, this weekend, when I put my article out on Rotoviz, I'll have a, uh, a link to a spreadsheet. So it'll just be an Excel spreadsheet, and you're going to have to fill it out and uh, send it to – I think it's what it's on the daily DFS at gmail.com. Is that right? That is affirmative. Affirmative. So we're going to send those, you fill those out and send it to on the daily DFS at gmail.com. And the way it's going to be structured, this Excel spreadsheet is we're going to have, obviously the 12 drivers are going to be entered in there. Um, and from there, you're going to pick the 12 that go down to eight. And then you're going to pick the eight that go down to four. And then you're going to pick the order of the final four. I'm going to have a seating for each of the drivers. So uh, and it's going to be based off of where they started the playoffs in their seating. So uh, not where they're going to be in the final 12, but where they were in the 16. So let's say the 16th place driver actually advances uh, into you know the second round, then he'll still be the 16th seed, even though there's 12 drivers left, just like the NCAA tournament. You don't change your seed once you advance to the next round. So, it's going to be seeded based, and then you get points based off of the number your seed is. And then I'm going to double the points based off of the number of the seed going into the round of four. So 12 to eight, you're going to get seed points. Eight to four, you're going to get double seed points. And then uh, for the final four, there will be specific point values for – and I'm going to try to work them out. I haven't completely worked out the details of the final four – but I'll do that before we get the, the, the uh, spreadsheet posted. There's going to be specific points for getting fourth, third, second, and first correct. And then if, if there's a tie at the end, the tiebreaker will be the number of laps led by the championship winner in the final race at Homestead. Now, Homestead, 400 miles, so there's going to be 267 laps, just so you know. So don't pick 300 laps led because then you're not going to be close. Okay. All right. Uh, is it going to be possible for people to read those rules or find those rules somewhere on the website? I will definitely get those posted. Uh, there will be very specific rules. We did the contest two years ago, and we had a, a very specific outline of rules. So it'll all be there. Um, it'll be, like I said, up with my article on Saturday, and I will make sure the rules continue to get linked in all subsequent articles that have to do with NASCAR. And, Obviously, you're not even going to be able to fill them out until we know who the final 12 are, which will be after Dover. So essentially, you'll have a week to fill them out. But at least you'll get to see the rules uh, ahead of time, two weeks ahead of time, kind of plan ahead, watch the drivers these next two races, and uh, get a feel for who you want to pick. Yeah, lots of strategy. I, I would be interested to uh, to know, because I think we have some pretty sharp listeners. I'd be interested to hear the different ways in which people will approach this contest uh, kind of more of like a, a GPP type of style or, you know, the way that people think about this. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Okay. The other big item this weekend is the start of the DraftKings Fantasy Racing World Championship. The So this week, 25 people are competing for 15 spots to advance to the next stage. And then 10 people will get eliminated and earn $2,500. Uh, 
what have you done this week to prepare for the event, like the, the main NASCAR event of the year? Oh, yeah. So I'm super excited. And uh, obviously, with, with 25 down to 15, it kind of sets up like a cash game. But I think everybody knows that. So there's always this extra level of psychology of, well, if I know everybody's going to be playing a cash game lineup, do I do something different? I think there'll probably end up being some ties. Uh, and I'm not sure how DraftKings handles the tiebreakers. So I might need to look into that. But that said, what have I done to prepare for the event? Well, I watched Chicagoland. I didn't actually get to watch it live. Uh, I was I was watching NFL and we were out with some friends. And then uh, so I watched Chicagoland on Monday. I watched the first New Hampshire race this year on Tuesday. I watched the the New Hampshire race that we're going to now. So the, the playoff New Hampshire race from last year on Wednesday. And then Thursday, I prepped the model. I tried to enhance the model, do a lot of new things, looked into a lot of different things. Um one of the things I did, instead of just using practice rank, which I do, uh, so like, you know, if, if Truex practice six, like in my data set, it says six, and then it'll say Landon Castle 28 if he practices 28 or whatever. Instead, what I did is I actually did it as their, their speed. So, um, you know, let's say Truex is the fastest at 136 miles an hour, and then Landon Castle is 134 miles an hour. So what I do is I take Truex and I just call him 1.0. He's the fastest, 100% speed there. Uh, and then Landon Castle, I did his speed divided by Truex's. And then I did that for all of the New Hampshire races of the past and, and kind of built a model based off of that, not only for single lap speed, but for 10 lap average as well. And uh, because not all the cars did 10 lap averages in final practice, if they did them in second practice or first practice, I notated that as well. Uh, and, and that way I was able to build kind of a, a more of a machine learning model. And the 10 lap stuff really did pop out as significant. So that was the big enhancement to the model. Uh, is is getting that 10 lap instead of just rank, but the 10 lap speed in there. And then when they made the 10 lap run, you know, was it the first lap of 10? You know, did they go laps one to 10 of the practice session or 20 to 30? Because usually, typically in last practice, the later you go, the harder it is to run run that fast. So that interacted with the speed as well. And then, uh, like I said, also if it wasn't done in last practice, I made sure that was noted as well because it did have a little bit of an effect. It was better to have it in last practice, the same speed then the same speed in the first practice or second practice because usually the conditions are a little cooler because those practices happen earlier in the day. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event, even eSports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay, so a lot of prep you've done this week. What are some of the key takeaways that uh, you have from re-watching some of the prior races uh, or from the updates that you've made to your model? Yeah, and so this the one thing I thought I think was interesting that might not actually even apply to Fantasy Racing World Championship, but that I did learn 
is how good the Stuart Haas cars have been both of the last two New Hampshire races. Not just Kevin Arvick, but Clint Boyer ran well in the first race this year. Kurt Busch ran well in the first race this year, as well as the, the second race in New Hampshire last year. Uh, even Danica was running up there inside the top 20. So, um, you know, obviously Tony Stewart was there last year in the second race, and I'm not really counting him. But the, the drivers that are currently racing for Stuart Haas, when they were in the Stuart Haas Fords, did very well each of the last two races. I think that's something that is very notable uh, for New Hampshire and, and something I'm going to keep an eye on, obviously, with we just had qualifying here. So, I, you know, I think these drivers could make for very interesting GPP plays based off of where they qualified. So that is definitely... Definitely something that I, I really looked into with, uh, you know, with the uh, previous New Hampshire races. So that would be my my biggest takeaway. The other takeaway, of course, is just the fact that you never know what the hell will happen at New Hampshire. We talked about this at the beginning of the show. You never know when a caution will come out. You never, especially the second half of the race. But with that uh, that compound, the first race this year was a little drab towards the latter half of the race. So. Uh, we'll have to see. I, I, I'm really undecided on whether the, the compound and the stages affected it or if it was just a one-off because most of the races do have mayhem. And I think with the intensity, especially it not being the first race of the playoffs, but the second race of the playoffs, drivers will probably start to get a little more impatient as they realize maybe they're in a bad position uh, halfway through the race or something like that. You know, they get a penalty or they go a lap down, they they get a little over antsy. Uh, or, or you know, I think there could be a little more intensity at this New Hampshire race than Chicagoland as well as the first New Hampshire race this year. Now, I have a, a follow-up question on this, and it has to do with the, the resin in the degree, and I guess also the stages, but more the resin and the degree to which it could have had an impact on uh, the lack of cautions that you saw in the second half of the first New Hampshire race. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're uh, at some other tracks this year. They also laid down a similar type of resin. Is there some way that you could look at the impact uh, or the type of the, the racing that you saw in those races and compare those tracks uh, with the resin to the former racing that you saw there without resin and then, you know, kind of project a little bit from there? That's a really good idea. Now I have a project for tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's a really good idea. I think the, you know, the goal of the resin is to make it multiple grooves of racing instead of just one groove. And if there are multiple grooves, you don't need to knock people out of the way or you don't need to get as impatient because you can go higher, you can go low, uh, and and so when there are multiple multiple grooves, there can often sometimes be often sometimes that makes sense, but there can be uh, less cautions. We've seen that before. When Bristol uh, is a multi-groove track, especially the very first time that uh, there was side-by-side racing in Bristol, there were there was far fewer cautions. Fans hated it because they wanted to get back to the Bristol of old, where you had to knock the guy out of the way to pass him in, in cautions galore. So. I think there might be something to that. So that's a project for me to go look into. Uh, if that really does you know, decrease the number of cautions, that's something important to take away for New Hampshire because uh, New Hampshire traditionally, as we've mentioned, has had a lot of cautions in the second half of the race. Uh, I will go back and I'll actually post this in my article. I took a screenshot of the, the second New Hampshire race last year, and they there was a a point in the race where they showed a, a graphic on NBC Sports or NBC SN, I guess, uh, where the race was playing on TV. Um, and, I, of course, I had it on YouTube. So uh, there is a graphic that shows the number of cautions in the first half of the race and the number of cautions in the second half of the race. And it was just night and day. And it was just like every single race, basically, So at New Hampshire. So 
New Hampshire does traditionally get a lot of cautions, but if there is something to this this compound thing, uh, that's something I'll definitely look into and, and compare the number of cautions at compound races versus non-compound races at the same tracks, or maybe just also look at like multi-groove versus single groove because uh, you know there are other tracks that didn't need compound, like Richmond or sorry, like Michigan for example, didn't need any compound. It's a multi-groove track. Uh, I, I mean, I guess. It's turned into a bit of a one a one groove track, but like Chicagoland last week didn't need any compound. It was multiple grooves, not many cautions at all, just a couple, and most of them were just minor spin outs. So uh, you might be onto something here, Friedman. I, I ask questions. That's what I do. It's literally yeah. what I do on this show. Uh, okay, let's talk about the model or the Uber model, as I like to think of it. Uh, what are the key variables that are going into it for the New Hampshire race? Did you call it the Uber model? The Uber model, yeah. yeah. Hopefully it's not the Uber business model. but uh... <laughs> No, no it's, it's, it's the grand model. There we go. Uh, so some, some of the key factors into the model are performance this year, obviously. How well has a driver run this year? Year-to-date driver rating as well as year-to-date dominance. Both of those do actually predict finishing position. I mentioned the 10-lap stuff. That is very heavily involved in the upgraded model yes 10 lap came into play last uh last time we were at new hampshire um but this time it's a little more enhanced with all the the added bells and whistles around the 10 lap data there so uh definitely made some improvements there but surprisingly there aren't that many variables the only other one and i thought this was super interesting starting position doesn't come into play in the model at new hampshire uh so no starting position um and that's probably because traditionally in the past we've had so many cautions that everything gets shook up but the only other thing is the track uh, type driver rating slash dominance. Um, so kind of like same thing as year to date, but the track type. When I say track type, I mean the flat tracks. And when I say the flat tracks, I actually mean all the flat tracks. I looked at just the small flat tracks. I looked at, uh, you know, so obviously taking out Pocono and Indianapolis. That actually made the model worse. So I put Pocono and Indianapolis back in and made the model better. So it's all the flat tracks, uh, all six of them, the four small ones and the two big ones what their driver rating is this year and what their uh, dominance is at the flat tracks this year. So those are the key variables for New Hampshire this weekend. I am looking at one other thing, which I'll probably be doing tonight after we record this and is looking and what it is, is looking how far back I want to take the flat track stuff. Is there both short term and long term history to that right now? I just have it set at a default eight, which is, the number of basically the number of flat tracks we've had this year. So I want to see if there's short term and long term form to the flat tracks, uh, which is, you know, always trying to improve the model. And, and that's what I'm going to be looking at tonight. OK, how predictable of a race is New Hampshire usually? Well, uh, I think most of you can kind of guess that because of all the late cautions and especially the later a caution comes, the less predictable a race is because everybody gets bunched back up. Somebody might miss a shift on a restart or spin their wheels or spin their tires and, and all hell breaks loose. You know, the later a caution comes, the less predictable a race is. And the more cautions there are, the less predictable a race is. So New Hampshire actually traditionally has not been one of the most predictable races. It's been around the 0.45 R squared. Uh, this time I've gotten it up right under 0.5. So I have made enhancements, but it isn't a huge amount. However, any bit helps. And that's what we're looking for. Any little edge that we can get. So right at 0.49 right now for New Hampshire, where it was, I think it was 0.445 for the first race this year. So definitely making some improvements, but uh, it's a tough race to predict when everything always turns into mayhem at the end of the race. All right. Um, 
Let's talk about dominators. So 300 laps that are scheduled. Um, how are you approaching dominators for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, with 300 laps, it's obviously you're going to need dominators. And what usually happens at New Hampshire is we get multiple dominators. And by that, I mean, usually even more than two. Usually it's three. Sometimes even uh, four drivers can lead a chunk of laps. Uh, what we saw the first race this year was we saw three. We saw Martin Truex Jr., we saw Kyle Busch, and we saw eventual race winner Denny Hamlin all lead at least 50 laps, all with at least 25 fastest laps. So um, that tends to be the norm at New Hampshire. Now, it's not obviously always the case. You can get a, occasionally get a two-dominator race. Uh, and if you go way, way, way back into NASCAR lore, which is kind of funny, um, there was a race, I think it was before NASCAR loop data even started, where uh, it was in 2000 or 2001, where they put restrictor plates. So this is this is totally not DFS related right now. But it's a cool story, and, and we're about all about cool stories here. But uh, in two, I guess it's not that cool because it came off the heels of two driver deaths at New Hampshire. But what they did is um, it, they put on restrictor plates to kind of make sure the cars, if if the throttle got stuck, they still couldn't um, accelerate past a certain speed anyway. And the reason this, this happened again, I mentioned the two deaths. Both of the times the driver's throttle got stuck and they essentially slammed headfirst into the wall. And that was before the Hans device really became a thing. So they slapped on these restrictor plates in New Hampshire and Jeff Burton led from start to finish. And I think that's the last time NASCAR had one driver lead the whole race. But that's way back in history. But going back to, to the question here, I think most likely we'll see three dominators. We could see four and we could also see two. But I don't plan on any single dominator race here this weekend. I'm planning on three and I actually would lean maybe slightly towards four instead of two if there is a little bit of extra maybe wildness that could happen at this race but I think three will be the most likely answer okay so uh, unlike Richmond which is another short flat track uh, and most of the winners at Richmond start from the front at New Hampshire the winner has come from the pole only nine percent of the time uh, additionally, the pole sitter has accumulated more than 57 DraftKings points, only eight out of the last 25 races. Uh, why do you think the pole sitter has uh, a low frequency of success at New Hampshire? I think it's I think it's because of all of the uh, the cautions in the second half of the race. When you get that many restarts, you get that many pit stops. Things are bound to be you know shaken up. And uh, Richmond traditionally has not been a super heavy caution race we just you know we raced there two races ago and uh obviously i, I you know the, with the low dnf rate there the low caution rate there richmond was a track that i was pretty much trying to not use joe dirt cheap drivers because you don't get a lot of things you know shaking up there uh just like chicago land this past week and i wasn't really trying to uh, i didn't make any lineups I actually didn't play i took the first weekend off the uh, that nascar's actually raced since I think NASCAR DFS started, kind of cleared my mind, just watch the race, be free of any bias from DFS going into Fantasy Racing World Championship. But, but yeah, I think the reason is all the cautions. And uh, when you get that many, like I said, you get that many pit stops, you get that many restarts, things are bound to happen, and the leader tends not to win the race. And also, starting position, as I mentioned, doesn't even play into the model this weekend. Starting position really doesn't factor in a whole lot in finishing position. So uh, it shows up in the model. It shows up in the final stats as well. You just mentioned only eight of the last 25 pole sitters have scored more than 57 DraftKings points.
Okay, so we've talked about the resin. Uh, we haven't talked quite as much about the stages. So each of the first stages are uh, 75 laps. Uh, how do you think pit strategy is going to impact the way the Dominators race this weekend? Pit strategy strategy is interesting this weekend because we do not have uh, a full fuel run under one stage, right? So normally we go to one of these mile and a halfs and it's either 80 or 90 or whatever laps for the first stage. Well, they, drivers have to pit during that first stage before the end of the stage because they just don't have enough fuel to get to the end of the stage. New Hampshire is different. 75 laps is only 75 miles because it's a one-mile track. And so uh, the cars can run the whole stage without needing to pit for tires or for fuel. Yes, the tires will start to wear, and it certainly will become hard to handle towards the end of a run there. So we could see a late caution. If we don't, uh, then you know there's a good chance they run the whole stage under green. I think we probably will end up seeing a caution, but uh, that could shake up pit strategy. But if if that happens, I would venture to guess that most of the leaders will pit uh, part if you know if it comes partway enough laps into the first stage where tires will be important. I think most of the leaders will pit. You could see some of these uh, backmarkery type cars, you know, stay out and and try to gain some track position or maybe do two tires or, or something like that because they don't need to come in and pit for fuel. So if they come in and pit, it would just be two tires, maybe top off on fuel anyway, just because you're coming in. But you could also just do uh, no tires and stay out and not even have to pit because you don't need fuel and you know you're going to get a caution at the end of the stage anyway. So the only way pit strategy, I think, comes into play is if you get a caution you know, midway or towards the end of that first stage and then similar with the second stage. Otherwise, if each of these stages stay green, there isn't any strategy. Everybody comes in to pit when that stage ends because uh, 75 laps is not that long at New Hampshire and the first half of the race, as we mentioned, is usually tame. It was tame the first race of this this race uh, this first New Hampshire race this year as well. So I think pit strategy it could come into play, but I don't think it'll be super super important in terms of the end game strategy. I think uh, I think and also dominator strategy. I think it'll probably have minimal impact. All right, let's uh, talk about the picks and let's start with dominators. Who do you think is going to dominate this race? Yeah, well, if we talk dominators, you have to start with Kyle Busch. He's the pole sitter here, and uh, you know, just should have should have just crushed it last weekend. I mean, we talked about it on on the pod. We talked about it on Road of His Life that Kyle Busch just had the car to beat, and unfortunately, had that loose wheel, then had the penalty, got two laps down. But he's on the pole again, and he actually even screwed up a little bit on his pole lap. He could have been two tenths ahead of everybody, uh, just like last week. So I think Kyle Busch, easily the number one dominator. Number two dominator is the one that's very interesting. You get Kyle Larson starting second, but New Hampshire is not his best track. Denny Hamlin starting third. He won this race, the first New Hampshire race this year. So, and he's you know flat track master. So certainly he's in contention. Martin Truex Jr. qualified fifth. We always know he's in contention. And Kevin Harvick, we mentioned how good those Stuart Haas cars have been here. He qualified sixth. Very good at New Hampshire as well. Very good at the flat tracks, Richmond, Phoenix. So there's a lot to choose from, but I do have to fall back to Martin Truex Jr. at this point in time without any extra practice data to go by after qualifying. He was the top dominator at the first race this year at New Hampshire. He's, you know, we go back to those stats that I talked about, dominance this year, uh, driver rating this year, and then dominance at the flat tracks. Well, he has been dominant at the flat tracks at times this year. 
leading the second most laps among all drivers in the flat tracks in 2017. So uh, I think Martin Truex Jr. certainly the the guy to to get the number two dominator spot for me over Denny Hamlin and, and Kevin Harvick and Kyle Larson. I think who probably run a close three A, B, and C. All right, talk about your cash game plays. Yeah, so this will be very close, I think, to my Fantasy Racing World Championship plays because it should set up like a cash game. But obviously, Joey Logano is a cash game play, not having made a qualifying run. He was bitten by the old inspection bug and didn't get through the technical inspection line, so did not make a qualifying run. Starting dead last, uh, you know, he practiced in the mid-teens. He's not a slam dunk by any means to, like, be in the winning DraftKings lineup, given how much he's struggled this year. But for cash games, obvious play. Uh, Kyle Larson, actually, in the first New Hampshire race this year, was also bitten by the inspection bug and started dead last. He ended up finishing second. I don't think Joey Logano is going to do that. But uh, Joey Logano has come down a little bit in price. And so just the fact that he's come down a little bit in price, the fact that he's starting dead last and should pass a lot of people, I think uh, he is a no-brainer for cash games. I also think you, you know, obviously with Kyle Busch and then Martin Truex Jr., those are probably the two guys I want in cash games as well. The two most likely dominators, in my opinion, unless I see otherwise. Then there's a bunch of different ways you can go in cash games. You could... uh, you could take another expensive driver or you could uh, and then, you know, and then two Joe Dirt cheap drivers. Or I think you could take uh, three kind of mid range drivers. So there's a couple ways to go with strategy. Um, and uh, I think I probably want to talk a little bit more about those on Road of His Live. I have a question about Logano. So one, it seems like uh, he's going to be complete chalk if he's cheaper and he's starting near the back. But two. Uh, is it like, hasn't he had other inspection issues or like other stuff like this, this year or last year? Like, isn't this kind of like a thing? Yeah. I don't, I don't actually, uh, know about Logano. I remember Larson had like three or four, okay, you know, yeah, okay. mid, midway through the year, it was Larson and, and even Jimmy Johnson a couple times, Dale jr. Some of those drivers just kept getting caught out. I know Logano got caught out one time for sure. So, uh, but there has been multiple big names that have, have been bit by the inspection bug this year. Like, how does it happen or why does it happen? Is it sort of like the racing equivalent of steroids and like these guys think or hope they can get away with it or they're just like always looking to push the edge? Yeah, it's it's more that they're looking to push the edge. They're not intentionally trying to cheat because obviously if you intentionally try to cheat and you have to go through inspection, you're most likely going to get caught, right? So they're just trying to push the envelope as far as they can go, and sometimes they accidentally go over. Like, you know, it's like when you're bowling. You, you, you're bowling and you you don't want your foot to cross the foul line, but occasionally if you're, if you're uh, not a good bowler like me, you occasionally cross the foul line. Well, yeah. Okay. But it seems like it's pretty different because like one has to do with like just the accidental movement of the human body. And one has to do with like the way in which you've configured your vehicle. It seems like there's, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like that's a little different. Like, like you would know what the specifications are and you on your own could clearly measure whether your vehicle is or isn't meeting the specifications before the, the NASCAR investigators ever look at your vehicle? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think obviously, you know, the, the, the teams have a template that they go by and they, they want to push right, like I said, push right up to the edge of that template in certain areas because the more you tweak your car in a certain direction, the better it'll be either aerodynamically or mechanical grip. And so you're going to get as much as you can because if you don't, you're going to be behind. So if you leave yourself a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch, you're probably doing 
not enough to to be a winning championship team. All these championship teams need to push the edge as much as possible. And sometimes they just accidentally go over the line. It's not like they're intentionally going over the line. Just like it's not like I'm intentionally crossing the foul line on my bowling. But uh, they they obviously know they're approaching it very close. And they probably still think they're under. There's all these, you know, margin of error in, in their own template, their own laser measures, NASCAR's laser measure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then NASCAR's like, well, you need to shave down the body this much. And they, they shave it down a little more, but they don't want to do too much. Now, and then they go back through the inspection line. NASCAR's like, nope, not enough yet. So it's just one of those things that, that it's, you know, it's like just looking for every edge in the competition that you can. Okay. All right. Let's talk about GPPs. Let's talk about GPP. So uh, I, I really I mentioned the uh, Stuart Haas cars earlier, and I think Clint Boyer is just a fantastic GPP play this weekend. Starts 16th, uh, has nothing to, to lose, right? He can go for the win. He's not in the playoffs. He's not involved with this whole shindig here. So Clint Boyer in that Stuart Haas car, very good first race of the year here. Uh, I think he might go, I wouldn't say under-owned, but I think he could um, maybe be uh, not chalky, I guess, because he is starting in that 16th position. So I think Clint Boyer is a very interesting play. If we want to look at some other GPP plays, I think you kind of need to look at these other dominators that could be a bit contrarian. But there is one name that we haven't mentioned, and that's Matt Kenseth in 10th starting position. Matt Kenseth, very good at New Hampshire, um, also has led the third most laps at flat tracks this year, most percentage of laps. So if you take the percentage of laps led at each flat track race and average them, Matt Kenseth third right now. And we said flat tracks this year are a big indicator. He's very good at New Hampshire, won many times here, especially recently he's won. Um, he didn't win, obviously, in the first race this year, but he was in contention. And I expect Matt Kenseth to be better than a 10th place car and have an outside shot at dominating at least a portion of this race. And even if not dominating, you know, let's say he leads 20 laps. It's not really dominance, but if he starts 10th, finishes 5th, and leads 20 laps, he has a very good chance to be in the winning GPP lineup. So I like Matt Kenseth. Finally, uh, another name that I think we're really going to have to pay attention to in GPPs is Brad Keselowski there in 13th place in qualifying was not the best qualifying effort from him, but uh, I could see him going over licked for all these other dominators as well. Denny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth, uh, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Larson, yada, yada, yada. But uh, Brad Keselowski has led the fourth most laps at the flat tracks this year. So these are kind of more like contrarian plays. You know, if you're doing three dominators, you could also throw in a fourth expensive guy and then go kind of a stars and scrubs. Uh, if, if you're doing t- occasionally a two dominator lineup, then I don't mind, like I said, playing a guy like Brad Keselowski or Matt Kenseth because they should also get high finishing position and maybe get some fastest laps in there as well. If we want to get a bit of a cheaper type name in here, I don't mind Ryan Newman as well. Ryan Newman in playoff contention. Um, I know he burned us last weekend, but the flat tracks are so much different than the big ovals where aerodynamics matter so much more. We saw Ryan Newman win at Phoenix. Flat tracks have been very good to him this year. Average finish of 9.6, 83.0 driver rating. And he's actually, like I said, led some laps here as well, including the win at Phoenix. So Ryan Newman would be another GPP play for me uh, if you want to go a little bit cheaper in price instead of all of these expensive guys that I just named. But uh, yeah, more expensive side, Kenseth and Keselowski, the cheaper side. Newman and, I mean, I guess Boyer's not super cheap, but, but Boyer uh, is not necessarily, I guess, in that upper echelon of price. Okay, you mentioned Ryan Newman as a cheaper GPP play. 
Let's go a little bit cheaper still. Let's talk about some Joe Dirt Cheap drivers. I guess one driver in particular. Who is your Joe Dirt Cheap driver for New Hampshire? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna count Michael McDowell this week. He's right at the six thousand dollar cutoff. Uh, he qualified thirty first, which is not very good for him. But uh, you know, qualifying thirty first for McDowell isn't such a big deal because he's very good at the flat tracks. He practiced faster in practice one. I, I obviously we know it's practice one, so it doesn't mean a whole lot. But I think he'll probably practice better in practice two and three as well, and certainly provide some salary relief for your lineups as well. So I think Michael McDowell is kind of the obvious six thousand and under play, but he is right at six thousand. If you want to dumpster dive, and I mean like dumpster dive. Brett Moffitt is an interesting play. He qualified 36th. Uh, he practiced 36th. Of course, Joey Logano qualified behind him because he didn't qualify. So um, Brett Moffitt is just interesting. He's in the, the 83 car this weekend, which I think is the first time he's been in that car this year. I do think you know BK Racing or whatever they're called these days uh, will have a little bit better speed than maybe Reed Sorensen in front of him or Greg Galding in front of him. Uh, possibly even Cole Witt in front of him. So it just depends. Uh, you know, he does need more time in that car, but he's not that far off in speed, especially from Sorensen and Galding. And I think he's a little bit better driver than Galding. Um, not so sure about Sorensen. Like, you know, those two probably in good equipment could be mediocre drivers. We've seen you know, way back five, seven years ago, Reed Sorensen was in some decent equipment for a while. and was a mid-pack driver. So I think Brett Moffitt, when he's in decent equipment, has also been a mid-pack driver. And and so I think he could probably pass Reed Sorensen. He could probably pass Greg Alding. And if we do get a little bit of mayhem, then uh, you, know, you can go super cheap with him because he's $100 over minimum salary at $4,600. All right. Finally, who is your pick to win at New Hampshire? Whew, well, I, uh, I definitely got burned by Kyle Busch being on the pole this past weekend and just looking so good. So I'm going to go right back to the Kyle Busch well. <laughs> um, he's on the pole again. I know we've got the stat with the pole sitters not being a, a winner very often, but he's got the best car. Things will happen, but he should be the favorite anyway. He's got the best car by far. He's probably maybe even right up there with Truex in terms of who's racing better these days. Uh, neck and neck with Truex, those two are the best two drivers. I think I think Larson's a, a third, but you know I wouldn't say a super close third, but maybe like a fairly close third, but uh, – Kyle Busch on the pole, great car, did very well here in the first race this year, had some bad luck as usual, and it seems to happen to him. But if he avoids all the bad luck, he's got the car to beat. Kyle Busch, my pick to win. Okay. Uh, This Sunday, there will be a Road of His Live. What time is that? It'll be on Saturday night. So because of of that whole NFL thing, um, we're going to start doing – Yeah, we're going to start doing Road of His Live on Saturday evenings for – races that are on Sundays. So, and obviously if races are on Saturdays, we'll do them earlier in the day on Saturday. But uh, that said, it'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. So 4 p.m. Pacific time, Rotovizlive, rotoviz.com slash live. Use hashtag RVLive to ask any NASCAR DFS questions you want, and I will answer them as long as I'm not giving away my uh, Fantasy Racing World Championship lineup. Yes, we wouldn't want you to do that because we want you to dominate. Uh, okay, so everyone, be sure to sign up for the uh, on the daily NASCAR DFS contest uh, for the playoffs that we're doing. Uh, check out the rules for that on the website, and be sure to read Nick's content on the site, and then also obviously tune in for Road of His Live. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily for Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. 
Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Factory.